Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Another new week and another new podcast. It's Monday, the 7th of September, 2020. Greg Haynes and Julian Ryder are with you as we look back at the Tellwell round of the World Superbike Championship. We're into the second half of the season, three races into it now. And for the first time since Australia at the top of the year, we have had three different winners from three different races. First of all, welcome to the Full Throttle podcast from Eurosport. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We're on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, the Eurosport website, and all other podcast suppliers as well. But Julian, first of all, we always say it, don't we, in the commentary, what's the story? Well, there's quite a few this weekend. Um, take your pick. Johnny Ray continues to do what Johnny Ray does, which is beat the odds, win any type of race. But I suppose it's it, it's Rinaldi. Um uh, Opening his account, I'm sort of changing my tune a bit from what I was thinking earlier in proceedings. But that final race when Ronaldo gave Ray a hard time and Johnny had to work. And you're looking at this young Italian and you're thinking, hello, Ducati must be getting quite excited. Yeah, because, you know... That's Jonathan Ray there, who's now 96 times a World Superbike race winner. That century is coming soon. It can't come in Barcelona. Could come at Magni Corps. But um, yeah, Michael Rubin Rinaldi, and I can't think of a single frame from the coverage across the whole weekend when he ran wide. I just can't think. He was sublime, wasn't he, today? He was the best Ducati. Every time we went out, Scott Redding had a nightmare race too. Chaz had a nightmare race three, a pretty upsetting qualifying. And Rinaldi, frankly, outperformed them both, which is not something I thought I'd be saying today. And we know his bike is very close to being a factory bike anyway, even though it's in Go 11 colours. But even so, that's a private, independent team. And, we and they've come through and won a race. They've had two more podiums. Remarkable. We also know he's a very good mate of the Aruba team manager. Yeah, we do. Well, actually, chatting with them over the weekend, they've been saying, haven't they? He is to to Ducati and World Superbikes. I think it's fair to say what Freddie Spencer was to HRC, what Mark Marquez is now to HRC. He's their little baby, isn't he? Basically, I, you know, there is still obviously if you're an Italian motorcycle manufacturer, if there's an, a, an Italian that's going to do the job for you, it's double bubble. Um, that makes me worry for Chaz's job. 
Um, and it also, you start thinking, well, Scotty, you know, I wonder if Honda made you a big offer for next year. You know, what, what you should do. It is fascinating stuff because Ronaldo's already been linked to the Aruba team, hasn't he? Uh, for obvious reasons, he was in the Aruba junior team when he won the stock title three years ago, but they were already talking about him riding there next year, even before, even oh, before this weekend. Absolutely. And given as we keep talking about the whole ethos in world championship motorcycle racing, as with everything, it's triggered by Mark Marquez. And motorcycle, uh, sorry, Moto Grand Prix team managers are now absolutely of the mindset that the old guard cannot beat Mark Marquez. Why the hell should I pay, you know, somebody any money at all to race my motorcycle if he hasn't beaten Mark Marquez in the past five years? I'll have a fish around in Moto 2 or even Moto 3 if you're Honda with Jack Miller. And see if I can pull out of that pool a Brad Binder, a Miguel Oliveira, a Rio Quattararo. I mean, let's be honest as well. There are so many of them, aren't there? I know Patty Yamaha, for example, and Paul Denning was talking to Eurosport on Sunday. Okay, there's so many people they could go to, but the chances are they're not going to go to Chas Davis or Eugene Laverty, for example. They're going to go to Bobier or to Locatelli or maybe Loris Baz. It's a fact of life, isn't it, at the moment? The other guys are not old by any stretch of the imagination. But Chance Davis is the same age just about as Johnny Ray, 33. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, I'm a, you know, I'm an admirer of Chance Davis. Uh, there have been for years in all the classes in Grand Prix. He did et cetera, et cetera. But he hasn't beaten Johnny Ray yet. What makes you, if you're a team manager, think you will? Remind yourself, the job of a team manager is not to give some really good bloke, a nice bloke, a good racer, you don't owe him anything, let alone a job. What you do as team manager is try and find the next world champion. Yeah, because that's another thing. I mean, that's another thing that's changed, isn't it, I think, in recent years. You look at Formula One, for example, good example there. Frank Williams has just parted company officially now with the team that carries, for now, his own name. Hopefully, it still will in the future. But yeah, unlike in the olden days and in bike racing, the name on the team is not really the boss anymore, is it? So these bosses are now being paid by big corporations, whether they're manufacturers or drinks companies or clothing companies, whoever's sponsoring the team. They've got a job, haven't they? They've got a big pressure on their shoulders from the execs at the top of the company. In the current climate, you know, money is hard to come by. Yes. You'd better, if you're taking a budget off somebody, you'd better be able to deliver. Yeah, otherwise that team boss might be out on his ear as well. Otherwise, why? You know, why? I mean, th there were certain, I suppose, you, you think back to when um, Ducati came to Moto Grand Prix and went to Bridgestone, Livio Supo's little. He knew they wouldn't win the championship. He knew at some places they'd get hammered. And he also knew that at two or three tracks, they sort of damn good chance of winning. And that's what happened. You know, it was... It was, you know, right, if I can't deliver a title, what can I deliver? And he went to a sponsor and basically, yeah, I went to, back to the big sponsor and says, well, I can deliver you front rows. I can deliver you pole positions. I can deliver you some wins. I'm not promising anything above that, but we can do that. And look what happened. 
So could we say then it's fair to go back to the last few years with people like Serafino Fotti and the other people in that Aruba Ducati team and say, good job, because they've been lining Rinaldi up for a few years now, haven't they? And sure enough, look what's well, happening now. Obviously, as you said, he's come up through the the production bike route, which isn't traditional for anybody on the continent anymore. But they saw something, and obviously, he, you know, Italian championship rides, super... Uh, European superstock and stuff. When all said and done, as you pointed out a minute ago, those are factory rides. Yeah, you know? <laughs> which which pay well, of course, because it's not all about that, but it's very much about that. You still got to put, you know, pasta on the table, haven't you? <laughs> well, you have. In fact, yours for anyone who's maybe listening to the first for the first time. Hello, if you are. Thanks for joining us. Um, you've been around in this for a while now as a journalist, as a commentator. Why is it, some people might ask, that some riders are Grand Prix riders in MotoGP and others are in World Superbike? Is it true that everyone wants to go to MotoGP? What's the situation? Well, the situation is that the interesting thing, I had this discussion years ago. I forget who it was. Um, and we're having a general chat about riders not using the number one plate. Now, they won a title and not using the plate. And... I asked, I think it might have been Quattararo many years ago. And he said, well, I wouldn't use the number one plate. If I won my, why not? He said, there is only one number one plate, and that's my Grand Prix. Some of us, some people get um, caught up with the idea they used to be specialists in 125, 250, and 350. They weren't, really. Everybody wanted a 500 because it's the only way you could make any money. The only way you made money on a one five or a two fifty was if you rode for a factory team. Okay, yeah. You were scrabbling around to get the diesel if you were a good two fifty runner, while trying to put together a good five hundred so you could get the event actually paid some money. So this explains as well, then, of course, uh, why so many of those top riders would go and do all of those non championship races, which yep. paid so well in prize money on the Adriatic coast of Italy and. Uh, the race at Cadwell, the race of Aces at Snetterton. You got all these foreign names coming over to Britain as well, didn't you? Because there was money to be had. I mean, I I, I nearly, well, thankfully, I didn't have time in Super uh, Sport 300 <laughs> to go on about the uh, the Dutch trio of Hartog, uh, Van Dorman and Middleburg, mm. who used to come over regularly to internationals in the UK, coach loads of J Dutch fans following them. And... You know, they didn't just take the money and ride round. Those boys came over and put it about a bit. Yeah. Took the money and went home. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, if you're of a certain generation of bike fan, you think, where are the Dutch guys? You know, you grew up and you saw Dutch guys, Will Hartog, he was third in the famous machine, Roberts at Silverstone, third man, other man under roster was Will Hartog. Last prior to win a, a 500 meter Grand Prix, Middleburg. Mm. You know, there he's, you know, where are the Dutch guys? Yeah. Maybe the maybe the kids we've been watching in in the three hundreds. Maybe 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 that's a new generation. Because it's easy to forget, isn't it, that many of these motorcycle races, as glamorous as all of this looks on the TV, they're quite normal people, really, aren't they? Deep down, they still have to go home. They have still got bills to pay. You know, they're not absolute. The top ones are, are, are you know doing well, but 
Someone like Michael Rubin Rinaldi is by no means a multi-millionaire with a private jet. You know, that is not the reality, is it? But he, at least he has been working for a factory for a few years. Yes. And you will not have to worry about paying the rent. Mm, mm. Whereas other riders in the field and even in the superbike field are actually paying to be there, aren't they? Yes. It doesn't happen quite so much. It's not so much you're paying to be there. It's almost, you, you could say, that some teams, are certainly for a second rider, yeah. outsourced yeah. the job of getting sponsorship. Of course you're going to have a ride. Yeah. You know, bring yeah. your sponsors along and we'll... Uh, mm. I mean, what's it cost to run a... You know, how do you write a business plan to, to run, let's say, a midfield super sport or Moto2 team? You can't justify that, can you? <laughs> Especially yeah. with, with all the COVID restrictions now making it even worse. How do you justify that? How do you make a business Mm. I mean, there years ago, a team manager in 500 Grand Prix told me that a privateer team that he'd never ever got any sponsorship from agents or people who said they would go and get it their cup. It was the fan with the checkbook who contacted them through their website. Wow! Wow! You know, I'm not surprised. There was a, so 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 much of this is passion fueled, isn't it? It really is. There was a Ducati sponsor. Um, memory chip people, Sandisk, Scandisk, Sandisk, can't remember. Mm, yes, yeah. The marketing, yeah, you know, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets, but somebody very high up in the marketing department was a Ducati freak and he wrote the business plan. You know, he's a well qualified man and you know, put it into I think the company was West Coast of USA and suddenly an email pings onto his, his desk. Hmm. Get on the plane and come and see us. He thought he was going to be fired. Uh, and the um, so the bigwigs are there. They go going. Yeah, this cost is this passes the cost per pair of eyes test. And next season, our, our hero was stood in the back of the Ducati pit, wearing the uniform, grinning his head off. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, it always amazes me when you get some of the some real top brains in the world of business entrepreneurs people like tony fernandez remember when he got involved mm. with qpr queen's park rangers okay. football club my mother um, i know who they are <laughs> okay oh right yeah of course you do um okay tony fernandez is an extremely switched on smart person air asia of course he's the man behind air asia the airline richard branson behind the virgin empire gets involved in formula one flavio briatore was involved in qpr if you remember with um bernie ecclestone but all of these people, as smart as they are and as much money as they have made in the world of business, have ended up losing a lot of money when it comes to sports ventures sometimes. I don't know whether the, the passion overrules the brain at times. Yeah, it, it's football clubs are the best example. It's perfectly sane, responsible businessmen, successful people lose their marbles when they get involved with a football club. Yeah, seems to happen a lot. I suppose it's also fair to be said, and, and we'll probably never know, unfortunately. Well, touch wood, touch wood. Hang on, here we go. Touch wood, we will know one day if we're a multi-millionaire, Julian. Uh, perhaps you can afford to take a bit of a risk like that. <laughs> Even so, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, as to, as to um, you know, what happens to people. You know, sanity tends to uh, to, to go. I don't know what it is. Or because I'm I was really good at building widgets or selling millions of widgets, now I can run a football club. 
Well, they're different skills. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's go back to racing and let's look at the psychological aspect of the whole weekend because I think for Scott Redding, I mean, he really has been through an absolute assortment of emotions this weekend. He's gone from, he's had frustration, he's had pure anger, he's had tears, literally. We could hear him sobbing in the back of the Ducati garage on Saturday after the crash. Then he comes back to a win in the sprint race earlier on. Uh, and then the unusual thing for me is, in a way, that both Aruba Ducati riders changed the tyre for the second feature race in comparison with the first. Um, and you have to think again that Jonathan Rose is more comfortable because he knows what he's dealing with. The others are switching tyres and they're not so confident, are they? I mean, as you said, commentary that Jonathan Ray made some utterance about, oh, maybe, oh, yeah, we'll take a risk and change tyre and have a... No, they don't do that. That's exactly what they don't do um, because they have a package that works and they know a couple of clicks, couple of clicks or whatever. They know that team knows exactly what that motorbike's going to do. And uh, the idea that they would go, tell you what, let's have a look what the soft tyre does this afternoon. Gibberish, frankly. The Ducati boys, I was confused about as well. I've no idea why Chaz. Uh, temp it must have been temperature related in some way from what we heard after the race. Must have been the, th the thought that the difference in temperature was, what, seven or eight degrees? Well, I, I tend to think from what I remember, and this is stuff I've got in my head from Grand Prix, so it might have applied to Pirelli's, that you needed five degrees of difference, I think, with the Bridgestones and maybe even a little less with the Michelins. But the Michelin... Tires, you know, you hear N twenty odd tires they make or something front and back, but they're so close together in spec. Always gone on the media. Well, it's you know, it's the proverbial what's it from the soft, um, and I, I think that's the reason why the why Chaz's team would have uh, would have decided to do what they do. I think. It's interesting because Chaz raced with that X compound on Saturday. Scott Redding, to be fair, still got to the podium with it today. So there's different ways of looking at this. You could say, have they missed the boat? Should they have tried this a bit earlier and maybe worked on it more in the tests and they just didn't think it was possible or were they convinced it didn't work? Could you, you know, that's one way of looking at it, maybe. It was like that, that they didn't know. Mm. Whereas we, you and I know that Perry Reaver and the Kawasaki team damn well did know. And the other thing is, and people are saying this on Twitter, there's different opinions, obviously, there's no right or wrong necessarily, but people are talking about it. Jonathan Ray wasn't on that tyre anyway, and he still won the race this afternoon. So it's not all about the tyre, is it, surely? Of course not. And this is, I, th I think we've all been guilty of it this weekend, of fetishising one thing. And um, that you know, it is never one thing. It is that vast and complicated jigsaw or equation is better. If you alter one factor, the answer alters. But there's eight other things in there that stay the same. And it's, I, yeah, the tyre thing was interesting, especially with Scott Redding. I, I think it got to Scott Redding a bit that... Uh, I'm a Ducati rider who can't use the, uh, and riders, you know, riders are like, they can be prone to this. You know, he's got it, I haven't. Oh my God, I must have it. 
Whereas that, that doesn't afflict Johnny Ray and Perry Reba. They just look at what their motorbike's doing, what the lap times are doing, you know, what their data from testing. And they're just not distracted. No, it's, it's almost as though, Jules, I don't know whether you agree. The tyres, yes, they had a big part of the weekend. They always do. But almost, it's almost as though more than the mechanical effects they had on the actual motorcycle, it was the psychological effects of the tyre situation. Well, we all know that all top-level international sport is mainly played north of the eyebrows. Yes. And Johnny, you know, he's made me fall about laughing a couple of times with some very disingenuous comments. You know, so unsubtle, it was hysterical. You know, the start of the season, well, I'm more worried about Toprak than Scott, you know. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> yeah, who, by the way, um, is now nearly 100 points behind Jonathan Wright. Uh, Yamaha's had, Yamaha have had two nightmare weekends at at Aragon, uh, uh, which I was disappointed by, frankly. I expected more. I really did. Um, reasons? I don't know. I really don't know. The R1 is a really good all-round racing motorcycle. It seems to go well everywhere. Very Yamaha. You know, it's the fastest yeah. thing to a speed trap. It's not, you know, hmm. ABC. But they work and work well. You'd be hard put to say that about them this weekend. Which leads me to this. Looking at the philosophy of these companies, Yamaha, Honda, Ducati, and so on, it almost seems as though, despite bikes changing, tyre technology changing, circuits changing, riders obviously changing, and all sorts of other things, <laughs> the, the general philosophy of these companies has never, ever changed. It now, is that, is that a good or a bad thing? It's because if you're a young engineer out of university... Mm. You join the engineering department at Yamaha. The men above you who have been doing this for decades educate you and steer you mm. in the way things should be done. Okay. It's, yeah. It's in Japan. Yes. But you we've know, all been in jobs, haven't we, in any line of work? And we've all had different jobs over our careers, I'm sure. You know, from when you come out of school, whether you go to university or you don't go to university. I don't know whether you... Did you go to uni? I didn't go. Did you go, George? You did. Yeah. Um, but even so, sorry? Chemistry. Did you? Okay, you were talking about physics over the weekend a lot, but it was chemistry. Okay. Scientific education. Ah, I, that makes a lot of sense now. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, the reason I was saying it is, yeah, we all come across situations, don't we, in, in the world of work where sometimes you get a situation where, okay, somebody might change something for the sake of changing it when it doesn't need to be changed. However, sometimes something does need a change and somebody will say, Oh, yeah, but we've always done it like this, which is almost the reason you should change. And sometimes they don't. Is that a little bit like that in these manufacturers? No, I, I think that's over. It's not oversimplifying. That would be rude of me to say that. What it is, I think, you know, there is a philosophy of the way Honda does things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, many of which can be traced back to what Mr. Honda said. Um, the first time I went to the Honda Museum, there were two vehicles at the entrance. One was a Bugatti, and one was, was it a Motomarini racer? An Italian lightweight four-stroke of the 50s. And there was a Mr. Honda quote, as there is on the little pole, saying, how can you hope to be the best if you do not understand what the best is? And these were the two best racing vehicles ah. starting out. So that, you know, that's, uh, then you pass the one saying the product cannot lie. And then, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But Honda's view was that 
and this might have been the marketing guy rather than Sashiro Honda, mm. that hunters will not buy a bike that is slow. Therefore, my bikes will be the fastest through the speed trap. Or else people will mm. be mm. And They won't buy unreliable motorcycles. Therefore, my motorcycles will not break down on the racetrack or people will be sacked. And once we've got that sorted, we can think about winning races. So even even now, even though, you know, you hear sports bike sales are down and all the rest of it in some parts of the world, certainly in Europe, generally speaking, it's still that win on Sunday, sell on Monday motto. It's still, it's still there. I mean, HRC has always been sniffy about World Superbike, never wanted to be involved. Uh, the great, uh, they thought, the Japanese factories thought right back in 1988, this is for the the Go11 type team. The, you know, um, yeah, it's a private sponsor, private team. Yes, you might get a bit of help from various people, but it's not a full factory team. You know, replacing the old TT Formula One, which was thought of as the same way to be a non-Grand Prix production-related championship. Which, again, relates back to the way the Flamini brothers dealt with it as a business model, wasn't it? It wasn't necessarily supposed to be the pinnacle of racing, but it was entertainment, wasn't it? It, it, it was a different... Yes, it's no sense... Of, if you've got Motor Grand Prix, you don't have invent another Motor Grand Prix. Exactly, yeah. You, you want a different product. Mm. And at the start, of course, the Wild Cards, uh, which I still think was one of the great... And the two races on one day. Yes. Was, you know... That was different. It felt different when you went there from a Grand Prix. It was different from a Grand Prix. Whereas now, actually, we haven't really spoken about this on air because it's sort of old news now, isn't it? Three races per weekend. But what's your take on the general weekend format now? Um, I'll just, two races for the super sport classes is better, but what about the super bikes? Uh, I think it's fine. I think you, I, I understand that three full-length races might be a bit much. So sticking in a sprint race... Um, which I was a bit sniffy about when they started doing it. I think, you know, I think it's actually not a bad formula now. And, the, you know, I was confused by calling it the Super Bowl race. What? We did qualifying yesterday. You know, what, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and calling race three, race two, because it's the second full-length race yeah, just so seems silly, doesn't it? I've got some arguments about the nomenclature used. Yeah. But um, by and large, I think that... The race program, I think, is pretty good. It was ludicrous not to have two super sport races. Yeah, I agree. There was one thing I meant to mention before, actually. Sorry to go back to tyres again. Jonathan Ray, in the interview with Eurosport on Sunday afternoon, said, uh, as you know, the qualifying tyre has a yellow band around the sidewall. And he said, the X compound tyre, the super soft, has a red marking on. And he said, I looked across from second position to my right, which is obviously Scott Redding on the pole. And he said, I couldn't see the red mark. And I was a bit confused because I thought Redding probably would go for the X compound. And then he studied it again when he got back in to part Fermi and noticed that the Ducati guys had gone over the red markings in black. So isn't it great, these mind games, you know, Jonathan saying it's a bit disrespectful to consider only Scott as the main rival. That was back in Portimao. And now Ducati colouring in the tyres. I mean, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's good stuff just throwing... The ancient art of, uh, of stamping the wrong number of teeth on your sprocket in case anybody's having a look what your gearing was. Mm, you know, that mm. goes back to that. And I, mean, I remember Jerry Burgess when, this, the, uh, when he was Rossi's engineer and the old 
I think it was a white stripe on some tyre came in or a yellow stripe. And he was straight to the magic marker shop. You know. Funny. That is funny. I'm doing it fairly quickly because Grand Prix is a bit, you know. Yeah. They tend to be a bit more uh, no tweaking, no gamesmanship. They try to uh, <laughs> do catchy, obviously. Was it, um, I must ask now while I'm thinking about it, was it Jerry's idea then to sweep the track in Qatar or what was this talking about? So. Was it? I, yeah. I, I think so. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. I don't think it was Valentino's. When you were there, uh, obviously we're going a bit off topic here on a tangent. This is 2004 we're talking about, isn't it? And Qatar was towards the, the, the end first, of the season there. First Qatar Grand Prix. Yes, it was actually, yeah. wasn't it? In, in the day, in, the, in September, was it that year, I think? Um, what, what was the first you remember of that story? Did people see it at the time or did you all no, hear about it the next morning? Or uh, I, I think if you were late at the track on Saturday, rumours started. Right. But nothing was clear until right. the morning. So Dorna and Co. checked the CCTV, I suppose, and I saw suppose. what had happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> people would, you know, people would talk to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not, <laughs> again, it's an interpretation of the rule book. Yes. That, you know, you're not allowed to clean, you know, cleaning, you're not allowed to alter the track or, you know, some. so was that yeah. altering or was that cleaning or was it the other way around? Yeah. They're, as usual, there's a bit of legalese has to be gone through. Yeah. Whether somebody's just been clever and got their way round a rule or yeah. were actually infringed. I can't believe Joel Cluzel's misfortune. I just can't believe it. He's broken his leg after he was hit by DeRosa. The only thing that has taken the gloss off a great weekend of racing is Joel injuring his lower leg, his left leg. Again, again, and, and again, again, that really chills me. Um, you know, uh, it's it, if I'm right, he can't change gear with that foot, he's got the gear change on the other side now because he can't, yes, his ankle, anyway. yeah, Cor yeah, correct. An Ian Hutchinson inspired and, system, and, that an Ian Hutchinson style, um, seriousness of injury, yes, yeah, uh, and I just think, oh no. I know. Uh, what has he got to do? I mean, obviously, from a championship point of view, Locatelli almost had it win anyway, and he really has got one hand on the trophy now. But that sure. sort, obviously, it's sort of almost irrelevant, isn't it, with poor old Joel Cluzel in that condition. But uh, let's just hope. You know, I very much doubt he's going to be back this year. If he is, brilliant. But I just hope it's not going to be any lasting effects there because, you know. that That's it. I mean, normal people would say, do you know what, I should have given up after the first one. Why am I still doing this? You know, yeah, silliness. Mm, mm. Um, and you just hope he has the option when it's repaired that yeah. he can decide what he's going to do. Yeah, but well, he'll be thinking about it. Obviously, he's a father now as well, so I don't know whether that'll have any bearing. But we'll have to just uh, see. Who knows what the, what the other half will have to say mm, to him? Mm. Uh, so one thing, Jules, just before we go, uh, Barcelona's coming up in a couple of weekends' time. By the way, next week's podcast we'll be talking about Silverstone British Superbikes with one of the guys from there. Um, Barcelona, they had a test there in July and we said at the end of the broadcast today, Jonathan Ray, I reckon, he's looking best actually for race pace, but that's going to be quite possibly another brilliant Reading Ray head-to-header. -head. I hope it is. Well, it has that feel, doesn't it? It's, it's not, I suppose it's not that different from Aragon. Quite a long mm. straight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fast, fast 
long corner onto the straight. True. One thing I would say is um, the finish line is further down the straight. That could have a bearing. But indeed, it's quite a way down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then, you know, chicane, yep. drift corner, drift corner, yep. 50 bit, back straight. Mm. And then, you know, it's it's one of those circuits that's got a bit of everything and tests you feel all the assets of a motorcycle. It tests your engine, it tests your chassis, it tests your setup, it tests your tyres. Um, when was it last resurfaced? Oof, that's a good question. Um... Can uh, it can when temperature gets high, it loses all grip. Well, the the chicane, the chicane was built in two thousand and seven. Obviously, I know the motorcycles aren't using that again now. Um, when was it last resurfaced? We'll have to check that. We'll have to check that. It's got to be five years or so, maybe. Maybe so. Yes, because there was a phase where it was getting bumpy, and yeah, I think Formula One cars ruck the carpet up at the edge of the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a you know it's of the modern circuits. It's one of the best, modern yeah. you know built in ninety two. But um, it, it, of the new circuits, the new era circuit is absolutely one of the best. Mm. Tends to um, let different motorcycles exploit different parts of the track. You know it's it's not it doesn't feel like oh it's a Ducati track, not a Yamaha track. It's a place you go. And think, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Johnny wins here. I wouldn't be surprised if a Ducati wins here. And I wouldn't really be surprised if Aldro Bautista could step it yeah. up. Oh, and by the way, haven't we mentioned the Yamahas? They'll go all right here. It's great. I mean, actually, that's one other thing we can just uh, confirm. We have now had already the same number of race winners and podium finishers as we had in the whole of the uh, 2019 season. Just before we go, Jules... Um, when I came out of the commentary box this afternoon, a couple of our Eurosport colleagues were there from behind the scenes and one of them said, oh, that's it. Championship's done. Johnny's going to do it now. The other one said, oh, I still put my money on Scott. What's your feeling now? Well, I, that's a, a race. What, what did the gap end up at? Uh, it was 27 going into the sprint race and then it increased by nine. So it's 36 now. Six. Uh, a race is worth and more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you'd be a brave boy to bet on Scott Re anybody, even Scott Redding, who, as you know, is the yeah. who's given Johnny more trouble than he's had for a good few years in this championship. Thirty-six. We did. We just say it was. We did, didn't we? See, did we say thirty-six? I think we did. Yeah, because now I'm just thinking about it out loud. Because uh, if this is really interesting, actually, if I've not got this wrong, there's five points between first and second, apart from the sprint race, which is three yeah so that's 13 three times 13 is 39 39 so yeah we'll get there in the end greg bit slow after a whole weekend so even if no so ray can't afford to finish second to reading in all of them that's not going to happen anyway is it no i was just trying to work that out so yeah the pressure's on ducati isn't it there's no other way the of looking at it on. we thought ducati would take big lumps out of johnny ray this weekend they didn't no um, they didn't but they should have done, could you say? I mean, you know, they should have done, shouldn't they? Surely. I the ifs and buts in racing, but yes, right. They probably should have done. If they <laughs> sort of qualified better. Yeah. I think that would have made a heck of a difference because certainly the first uh, long race, it looked to me like Chaz had the pace. I'm not saying to beat Johnny, but to give him a race. Yeah. 
but again, we, it just comes back. And I know I'm going to get some stick here from people who say, oh, we favor Jonathan Ray too much. We really don't. We don't favor anyone, do we? But you have to praise, you know, credit where credit's due is the phrase. Jonathan Ray is not a 96-time winner and five-time world champion for no reason. He makes the best starts, having qualified the best. He does what he needs to do early doors. He's the best attacker. You know, he, when he needs to overtake, he overtakes. He does what he needs to do. He gets the job done, doesn't he? And he had to fight for it this week. Very much so. I mean, he, he had to concede to Scott Redding in the, uh, for the first time in, what, six events, did we say? Yeah. In the, in the, in in the, the sprint, sprint race, yeah. yeah. Um, who thought that would happen? And he could have settled for second behind Rinaldi, thinking, oh, well, he's miles behind in the championship. I'm ahead of Redding. But he didn't even do that either. He didn't do that. He went, uh, nothing old racers hate more than a fast youngster. <laughs> I have to put him in his place very Quickly, they were interesting in Park Ferme. Park Ferme is always fun. The last race of the weekend, Johnny and Rinaldi chatting away. Scott Redding mooching around, examining the rear tires very closely on all three motorbikes. Yeah. Really joining in, and Scott Redding on the podium, standing there with his arms folded. He did not want to be there. He was not happy. I mean, <laughs> Scott is a bright boy. He knows that he was expected and probably was expecting to come out of here, probably leading the championship again. Well, yeah, when you consider there was just 10 points between them coming into the round, yeah, indeed. You know, maybe, but, you know, like that, uh, yeah, so that's really useful on, for a radio broadcast. You know, more, <laughs> more or less level, one or two points, three or four points either yeah, way. yeah. Not with a race, not with a race on a bit worth of deficit. Yeah, yeah. Just to give you another idea, there, Jules was basically waving each of his hands up and down to say a bit seesaw, weren't you, Jules? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was useful. Well, Jules, <laughs> thank you very much for everything over the weekend, Jules. Barcelona in two weeks' time. Um, yeah, may the cliche here, may the best man win. It, and we still don't quite know who that is. We don't, do we? And that is what is so great about World Superbikes this year. And perhaps it comes back to what we've been saying all season long. It might also depend on how many people are finishing between Ray and Reading. Sure enough, as Rinaldi did this afternoon. As Rinaldi has done, Alex Lowe. What a fit Alex Lowe's would have done would have been interesting. Yeah, we, by the way, what a weekend. I mean, oh, heroic. we thought he might not even race, but he ends up doing what top five this afternoon. Aldro Bautista, Chaz Davis. I mean, that Honda is coming on. I know Aldro had a bit of an Aldro weekend. Mm. Um, but he's going to mess a few people's plans up before yeah. the end of the I suppose if we put a positive spin on it from Honda's point of view, at least he's feeling like he has the confidence to push that hard now. And he looked like he meant it. Yeah, he certainly did. Well, on that bombshell then, watch out for HRC, everybody, because we could have more winners this year. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. And isn't it great to see that we've had another winner other than those top two at a circuit other than Phillip Island? Because that's important too, because that was obviously a strange weekend as it always is. Jules, thanks very much for everything. I will speak with you very soon and uh, we will see what happens, won't we? We'll be back with the podcast next Monday to review Silverstone BSB. Jules, thanks again and I'll speak with you soon. 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.